Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the Kingdom of God promise, as contained in the Gospel of the Kingdom, which was the heart and center of everything that Jesus taught, the origin of that promise is to be found in the Abrahamic Covenant. It was to Abraham that a land grant was given, a gift of land was promised, in addition to progeny or seed. Abraham was promised an inheritance of the earth, of the world, according to Romans 4, verse 13. Now, it's important to note that that inheritance of the land was granted to Abraham personally, as well as to his seed or descendants. Abraham died, however, without ever having inherited the land. That creates the fascinating tension maintained by the drama of our biblical records, because Abraham must inherit the land according to the promises, and yet he died with only a very small parcel of land in his possession. The full promise to Abraham personally of an inheritance of the land has never yet been fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled at the great event to which the whole Bible looks forward, that's to say the coming of Christ in power and glory to establish his kingdom. Now, the kingdom promised to Abraham is the same as the earth or the land. That's why Jesus in the Beatitudes can say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And almost in the same breath in Matthew 5, 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. To inherit the earth is exactly the same as to inherit the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And that's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant, and the Davidic covenant are the foundational blocks on which the new covenant is built. Jesus, of course, is the heir to the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. He's the king who will rule the land or the kingdom. Now, since he never did this at his first coming, and certainly is not ruling the land right now, it follows that the inheritance of the land or the earth will come to Jesus as his rightful inheritance as the son of David only when he returns to this earth to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Now, that kingdom will have as its capital Jerusalem, a renewed and restored Jerusalem, as foreseen by all the Old Testament prophets. The kingdom will be established by spectacular divine intervention, as we read in Psalm 2. And the process of universal disarmament leading to total world peace will begin. We read of that in Isaiah 2, a picture of a world at peace with the nations beating their weaponry into farm implements and learning war no more. The vision of world at peace under the government of the Messiah is read annually at Christmas across the world, but few seem to believe it or take it in its normal and natural sense. They have somehow been persuaded that the promises of universal divine government on earth do not mean what they say. There's a mass of material in the Hebrew Bible expressly designed to describe that future kingdom, that future idyllic world era when the Messiah will have returned to control the affairs of the earth from Jerusalem. Now, there are two main reasons why people find it difficult to believe in this future kingdom of God, the messianic kingdom of Hebrew prophecy. The problem is a simple one. People have been taught from early childhood that the reward of Christianity offered in the Bible is to depart to a realm beyond the skies 
as a disembodied soul or spirit. Now, such a notion is completely without foundation in the Scriptures and really should be banished from our thinking process before we make good progress in understanding the New Testament. The dead, according to the Bible, are at present all dead, not alive in another place. They are waiting to be resurrected from the dead. They will then inherit the earth, that's to say the kingdom of God on earth, Matthew 5, 5 and Revelation 5, verse 10. Now, the second difficulty which prevents people from having a clear idea of the world's future as Jesus taught it is that the term everlasting life is not an accurate translation of the original Greek. The term everlasting life really means the life of the coming age. This fact is widely recognized by modern commentaries who've studied the Hebrew background to the Greek writings of our New Testament. It's a well-known expression, the life of the coming age. It was used by Jesus and by his contemporaries. It was a very Hebrew phrase based on the text in Daniel 12, verse 2, where we read of those emerging in resurrection who would inherit the life of the age. It was recognized by the rabbis and by Jews generally in the first century that the life of the age meant the life of the age to come. In the Greek it comes over to us as zoe aeonios, as our modern Greek friends would pronounce those words. Now that life of the coming age is an equivalent for the future kingdom of God. These are alternative ways of describing the same future era of peace when the Messiah comes to rule. Now that expression, the life of the coming age, has been rendered in our versions mostly as everlasting life or eternal life. Now I must tell you that of course it is life forever. It's a life that will involve immortality. But the actual expression is more precise and less platonic than everlasting or eternal life. It's the life to be enjoyed in the future age of the kingdom, the age to come, of which Jesus and the apostles spoke quite frequently. It's an alternative then for the kingdom of God. This was a well-known expression in the time of Jesus, and it meant nothing less than the objective of all the faithful, that is to take part in the life of the coming age of the kingdom. Now you'll notice that that's not the objective that many of us were taught from early childhood namely to disappear at the moment of death to another world in the sky, but rather it means to participate through a future resurrection from the dead in the future age, the age of the establishment on earth of the kingdom of God. That time period which Jesus referred to so clearly in Matthew 19, verse 28, and in Luke 22, verses 28 to 30. The apostle Peter, in a classic sermon in Acts 3, referred to the time when Jesus would be released from heaven, where he's now retained, in order to accomplish the restoration of all things. Acts 3.21 Now, it's everywhere taught in Scripture that the faithful dead are now sleeping, unconscious in the grave, awaiting the resurrection to occur at the coming of Jesus. You read of that in Daniel 12, verse 2. It says there that those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground... That tells you where they're doing their sleeping. They're sleeping in the dust of the ground, but they're going to awake from the sleep of death to take part in the resurrection and the age to come. In John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus echoed that teaching of Daniel precisely. He said that the time is coming when all those who are in their tombs are going to awake to the life of the coming age or to a resurrection of judgment. And all the faithful will then share with Christ 
in the promised kingdom. Now, in the light of this simple scheme, the New Testament can be read with clarity and understanding. We suggest that this sort of outline, a simple messianic outline, looking forward to the coming of Christ to raise the dead, reflects the mindset and the outlook of the biblical writers. The challenge set before us by the New Testament is the challenge of belief, to believe in Jesus and his message about the kingdom. Jesus' first recorded utterance in Mark's Gospel is a command just as relevant and just as up-to-date as it was 2,000 years ago for us to repent, that's to say, to reorientate our whole mind and life and to believe the good news about the kingdom of God coming. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. It was when potential converts believed the good news or gospel message about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ that they were ready to be baptized into the faith, as we see was the early practice of the church in Acts 8, verse 12. This is a process by which we're to be initiated into the faith, having believed in the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom, then, confronts each of us as individuals at the moment we receive the proclamation of it by Jesus or the New Testament evangelists. After that, our response to the divine message is all important for our successful journey towards the kingdom of God and our salvation in that future kingdom. Now, there's a warning about the danger of ignoring the invitation to the kingdom of God as issued by Jesus and the apostles. We find these solemn words of Jesus in Luke 8, verse 12. He said there, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, Matthew 13, 19, and does not understand it, the devil comes and snatches away the message which has been sown in his heart so that he may not believe it and be saved. Matthew 13, 19, and Luke 8, verse 12. We suggest then for your examination that there's one gospel throughout the New Testament. It's the gospel as founded by John the Baptist and Jesus namely the gospel about the impending kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. There's a simple way of searching this out for oneself. One has only to begin at the beginning. And the beginning in this case is found in Matthew chapter 3, the first verses, where we have an introduction to the work of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness and announcing the coming kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus began his ministry with exactly the same message. And so it's profitable for us to find out what did John the Baptist mean by the announcement of the kingdom of heaven? Well, it was obviously to put people in a state of alert in regard to the future kingdom of God. John the Baptist announced that the kingdom of God was at hand. He did not mean that the kingdom of God had arrived, but that it was on the horizon and everyone should prepare with the utmost urgency for its arrival to ensure that they would have a place in the kingdom of God when it came. Jesus took up exactly that same message. We find in Matthew 4, verse 13, that Jesus began preaching about the near approach of the kingdom of heaven. The message is exactly the same as that of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist looked to the future and saw a time coming when the Messiah would bring the wheat of his people into the barn of the kingdom and burn up the chaff with the wicked, with unquenchable fire. And so the two destinies of man are placed before us in the message of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. 
It is either a destruction, a tragic destruction by burning, or a successful entrance into immortality in the kingdom of God to be established at the second coming of Jesus. Now, grasping the foundation of the New Testament in these early chapters of Matthew, Mark, and Luke opens up the book in a brand new way for us. The rest of the New Testament is commentary on those great foundational truths laid before us in the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus himself. I'm sure we all agree that faith means believing. But believing what? Faith in what? The New Testament lays before us the need for faith in Jesus by having faith in his message and in his words. We believe in Jesus by believing in his message of the gospel of the kingdom. That's why in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus commanded faith and belief in the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God, grasping that is God's plan, aligning ourselves with God's grand design for the earth and for ourselves as individuals. Once we grasp the message of the kingdom, we are urged to persevere until we attain that position in the future kingdom. The great objective of the Christian faith is to inherit the kingdom of God, to inherit the earth, to inherit salvation. That will be a position in the kingdom of God which will be established on the earth when Jesus returns to set it up in Jerusalem. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God. The telephone number will be given at the end of this program. Join us again as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel of the kingdom of God.